Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, we continue to dive inside the pages of Enoch with J.R. Church. First, though, I want to encourage you to register for our upcoming conference in Des Moines, Iowa. Saturday, September 30th, come hear Micah Van Huss, Josh Davis, Michael Hoggard, and Larry Stamm. Call 1-800-652-1144 and secure your spot. This special one-day conference will encourage and inform your faith. The complete lineup of speakers, topics, and schedules are found at swrc.com. Simply click on Events. Or you can give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. Saturday, September 30th in Des Moines, Iowa. 1-800-652-1144. Or visit swrc.com and click on Events. Yesterday, we began listening to J.R. Church teach about the ancient book of Enoch. Today is part two of this special series. We're going to continue where we left off on yesterday's program. So if you missed that, I strongly encourage you to go to swrc.com and listen to yesterday's program. We're going to hear from J.R. Church and his classic teaching on the book of Enoch. Now, he did not consider it to be inspired of God, and he made sure to differentiate between the book of Enoch and the inspired Word of God, the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. It is not included in the Bible, and J.R. Church pointed out on yesterday's program that it should not be included in Scripture. But it is ancient history. J.R. Church regarded it to be perhaps the first book ever written. And he is going to talk about the heavenly walk that Enoch took. As it says in the book of Genesis, Enoch walked with God. But what kind of a walk was that? The book of Enoch describes a vehicle powered by mysterious capabilities. And J.R. Church begins to explain this portion of the book of Enoch. In chapter 14 and verse 8, Enoch writes, And the vision appeared unto me thus, Behold, clouds in the vision invited me, and a fog invited me, and the course of the stars and lightnings drove and pressed me, and the winds in the vision gave me wings and drove me, and they lifted me up into heaven. And I went till I approached near a wall which was built of crystals and a tongue of fire surrounding it. Verse 10 says, I went into the tongue of fire and approached near to a large house which was built of crystals. And the walls of this house were like a floor inlaid with crystals and the groundwork was of crystals and the ceiling was like the course of the stars of the lightning and the cherubim of fire between them and their heaven was water and a flaming fire surrounded the walls and its doors burned with fire. He said it was hot like fire and cold like ice and nothing pleasant about it. Notice please the clouds and the fog that drove him and lifted him up. Flavius Josephus also mentions a cloud that transported Moses. He wrote, quote, as he, Moses, was going to embrace Eliezer and Joshua and was still discoursing with them, a cloud stood over him on a sudden and he disappeared. This is in the Antiquities of the Jews, book 4, chapter 8, paragraph 48. And other clouds, fog, smoke, or whirlwinds are described as attending the descent of God to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, verse 16. The translation of Elijah in 2 Kings 2.11. 
Isaiah's vision of God's throne in Isaiah 6.4. Ezekiel's view of God's transportation vehicle in Ezekiel 1.4. Daniel's vision of the coming of the Son of Man in Daniel 7.13. And the ascension of Christ in Acts 1.9. All of these describe a cloud, a fog, a whirlwind, a mighty wind. And we don't know what these clouds are, but they apparently are some kind of a house. So, he begins to describe this thing. He says, its walls consisted of inlaid crystal-like surface with tongues of fire surrounding it. And then Enoch said, the ceiling was like the course of the stars and of the lightning and the cherubim of fire were between them and their heaven was water. Forgive me for my human way of trying to describe what he saw, but this is my best shot at it, okay? I've written, I imagine Enoch describing a series of video monitors whose screens appear transparent as heaven or the sky, whose surface seemed reflective, similar to the surface of water or glass. These could be used for navigating through the universe, that is the course of the stars, and the cherubim could be the navigators, angels sitting at consoles piloting the vehicle. It just seems that this is what he was trying to describe. Now he says it was as hot as fire and cold as ice. That sounds like superconductor technology Mm -hmm. to me. In 1911, superconductivity was first observed in Mercury by Dutch physicist Heike Kamerlenk Ons of Leiden University when he cooled it to the temperature of liquid helium, 4 degrees Kelvin, that is minus 452 degrees Fahrenheit, its resistance suddenly disappeared. The Kelvin scale represented an absolute scale of temperature. Thus, it was necessary for Mr. Ohms to come within 4 degrees of the coldest temperature that was theoretically attainable to witness the phenomena of superconductivity. Later in 1913, he won a Nobel Prize for this. On his tour, Enoch begins to see mountain ranges and observes a sunset. Then a series of volcanoes is described as a mountain chain of seven mountains. The center mountain was higher than all the rest around it. Could this resemble the menorah, the candlestick in the tabernacle? And does this center mountain describe Jerusalem? J.R. Church taught this classic series. Now, he's in this celestial vehicle, and they're moving toward the west. He sees a mountain chain, and the angel that visits with him in this chapter is Raphael. He says he sees a mountain chain, and four beautiful places beneath this mountain chain, entirely smooth, and then he begins to describe these beautiful places where the spirits or the souls of the dead are kept. As he continues to move west, they move up out of the subterranean underground cavernous areas of Sheol. They're back up to physical earth now, and they're still moving west. In chapter 23, he sees the sunset. And it's rather interesting the way he describes it. The sun illuminates the moon, so the sun and the moon actually is sunlight, even though it's called moonlight or the moon rules the night, but it's still the sun. And by the way, if he's moving west at a 1,000 miles an hour, mm-hmm. he's seeing the sun parked on the western horizon. It's fires playing among the clouds, and he's seeing a continual sunset. Now when we get to chapter 24. He says, From there I went to another place in the earth, and he showed me a mountain chain of fire. So a series of volcanoes here. 
And at this time, he calls it a mountain chain. From down on earth, it's hard to determine that there is a chain of mountains that runs. But from above, you can see the ridge, the mountain ridge that runs for miles. So I would say that he had to be above the terrain. Now he says that he sees seven magnificent mountains, three toward the east and three toward the south, and the seventh hill was between these. Its height is like the seat of a throne and surrounded with fragrant trees. There is a blue lake atop this mountain that is probably situated in a dormant volcano. And around the shores of this lake is a forest of trees. There may even be a snow cap around in some of these areas. It would look kind of like the throne of God. And he goes on to say that among these trees, there was some trees that did not wither in eternity. Its fruit is beautiful. Its fruit is like the vine and the palm tree. And so he asks, what is this tree that's fair and its fruit very pleasant to the eye? And at this time, Michael speaks up. Now, first we had Raphael and then Raguel, and now Michael in this chapter gives him the identity of this tree. Michael says, Enoch, what dost thou ask me concerning the fragrance of this tree, and dost thou seek to know? Enoch answered him, saying, concerning all things I desire to know, but especially concerning this tree. Michael tells him that this summit of this high mountain is like the throne of God. And it says, is the throne where the holy and great God of glory, the eternal king, will sit when he shall descend to visit the earth with goodness. And he also says that this tree of beautiful fragrance cannot be touched by any flesh. It goes on to say, this will be given to the just and the humble. When all things are atoned for, said the time of the great judgment. After the judgment, then he said, when all things are atoned for and consummated for eternity, this will be given to the just and the humble. And from its fruit, life will be given to the chosen. It will be planted toward the north in a holy place, toward the house of the Lord. It sounds like it's going to be brought down to Jerusalem. And it's going to be planted. These groves of trees called a tree of life will be planted on either side of a river that Ezekiel says will flow out of the Temple Mount and down across where, you know, in Zechariah it says that the Mount of Olives will be split in two and a river will run all the way down to the Dead Sea. And... This tree of life will be placed there, according to Ezekiel, and its leaves are for the healing of the nations. It brings life and health. And it goes on to say, I saw to the east another mountain of the same height between them a deep valley, but not broad. Therein also water flowed along the mountain. We're talking the Kedron Valley here and the Mount of Olives just to the east of the Temple Mount. Then he says, toward the west was another mountain lower than the former mountain, not high, before it dropped down at the Jaffa Gate into another valley. And we have here, it says, between them a valley, that would be the Teropian Valley, between mm -hmm. the two mountains, the mountain west of the Temple Mount. And then it says, and other deep and sterile valleys were at the end of the three. Though these three mountains described here, and right down at the south end of them is the Gehenna Valley, and that's what he's describing here. He said, I was astonished on account of the rocks and astonished on account of the valleys and was very much astonished. And he goes on in the next chapter 27 and calls this valley a cursed valley. And now his guide is Uriel. What does this cut tree 
described in the book of Enoch? Does it line up with the Bible? Does this tour reveal the location of the Garden of Eden? J.R. Church continues in his classic series. Cut tree seems to be Israel. And who cut that tree? They go there. They see virgin territory. They're looking at a tree laying on the Temple Mount, and it's cut down. That's dispersed Israel. That's a prophecy. That's a metaphor there of the chosen people that will be kicked out of their land, go into Babylonian captivity, and then go into Roman captivity for 2,000 years, will be without a homeland. And when he says, what's the purpose of this blessed land? That's the holy land. That's God's land that he's giving to the Jewish people. Today, the Palestinians want to take it away. Now, in Joshua chapter 15, verse 8, this is called the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. And from that, Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, 22, Whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. And the word hell there in English, in the Greek, is Gahina. So he's using the dump ground of Israel, of Jerusalem, the place where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched, as a picture of hell. Now, in chapters 28 through 36, they lift up in this craft and they move toward the east. They're moving out across Arabia. You know, he describes this as mountains of the desert and he saw only a plain that was filled with trees of the seed and water dropped down over it. And it was seen that the water which was sucked up was strong toward the north and toward the west and all the places in the water and the dew also ascended from here. In other words, it's a rainforest that today is the desert of Saudi Arabia. In chapter 29, they go east of the mountains. They see the trees of judgment. They see frankincense and myrrh and cinnamon. Those are plants and trees that grow in Arabia all the way to India, east of Jerusalem to this very day. Then they fly across this rainforest and come to the waters of what they call here in the Ethiopian version, the Eritrean Sea. Well, everything east of Ethiopia was the Eritrean Sea. Mm -hmm. That's where the Somali parrots are working today. That day, I think from the description here, they fly out over the waters of the Persian Gulf because they turn northward here and go to the Garden of Justice, or in one translation, the Garden of Righteous. And so they fly across the Arabian Peninsula, the area that was once a rainforest. They get to this sea body of water. They turn north and go up the Tigris-Euphrates River Valley area to the Garden of Eden where he sees the tree of wisdom in chapter 32. Raphael tells him this is the tree of wisdom for which thy old father Adam and thy aged mother Eve, and that means they're both still alive at this time, ate and learned wisdom and their eyes were open. They learned that they were naked and driven out of the garden. So he sees this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He describes it like the carob tree and the grape. And both of those, by the way, are delicious. We're listening to a classic recording of J.R. Church as he taught on the book of Enoch. He considered it to be the first book ever written. Now, of course, as we've said numerous times, he did not think that it should be included in Scripture. He did not consider it to be inspired of God. But yet he thought that it was fascinating to see the eschatological themes portrayed through the book of Enoch, as well as many other mysterious things that it explains. And so we have available 
for you from our ministry, J.R. Church's commentary over 300 pages in length on the book of Enoch, and it's 108 chapters. And so that's available from our ministry for a gift of $24. We also have five hours of J.R. Church teaching on four audio CDs available for a gift of $20 to our ministry. And we also have a DVD set available for $20 on Enoch, the first book ever written. Now you can get the book, the CD, and the DVD from our ministry for a gift of $45. And that's available by calling us at 1-800-652-1144 or by visiting us online at swrc.com. Does the book of Enoch describe the Messiah the eschatological framework that is going to come at the end of the age with judgment, with heaven, and with the eternal state, and with the millennium? J.R. Church taught it this way in this classic series. Enoch has three visions. Here's the first vision. Beginning in chapter 38, verse 1, it says, first of three parables. When the congregation of the just shall appear... And sinners are condemned because of their sins and expelled from the face of the earth. And when the just one shall appear in the presence of the just who are chosen, whose deeds hang on the Lord of the spirits, he's taking us to the future, to the time when the congregation of the righteous shall appear. To me, this sounds like rapture. When we appear before the Mm -hmm. throne of God in heaven. And the just one, the Messiah, appears in the presence of the just who are chosen. That's the saints. Enoch goes to the future, to the end of days, and he sees the throne of God. And he sees the saints standing before the throne of God. And he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he does not know who he is, he knows only that he is the Messiah, the anointed one. But his name is withheld, as we shall see during these parables He says here, when he comes down to the sinners, he asks the question, where will be the habitation of the sinners and where the resting places of those who have denied the Lord of the spirits? And he says, it were better had they not been born. Mm -hmm. That's quoted in the Bible. Now remember, there were several fragments of the books of Enoch found among the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we know they existed back in the first century. They could not have possibly been a later writing. There are some who suggest that Enoch was written during the days of the Hasmoneans, 150 years B.C. Not so. Could not possibly have been. Notice he speaks of the Messiah. He talks about him and the just who are chosen. The just have the connotation of grace there because they are forgiven by the Messiah. They don't work their way to heaven. They are made just as if they had never sinned. They are called just. And the sinners, it had been better if they had never been born. And then he says in verse 4, From that time those who hold the earth, or who possess the earth, will not be powerful and exalted. In verse 5, And the mighty kings will perish at that time, and will be given over into the hands of the just and the holy. So in other words, there is a time when the rulers of this world and their economic possessors of the earth, that is the international banking cartel, and all the politicians will be removed from this earth, and the governments and the earth will be turned over to the righteous, and we shall rule and reign with Christ. Listen to verse 6. And from that time on, no one can ask for mercy from the Lord, for their lives 
have ended. We see that there's coming a time when the wicked will not be forgiven. They will not have an opportunity to repent and ask for forgiveness because their lives have ended. It's incredible that this should be written even before Noah's flood. This should be written when Adam's about 650 years old. And then he says that the saints with the Messiah will descend from heaven and dwell upon the earth among the redeemed children of men. He says in chapter 39, verse 1, it'll come to pass in those days that the chosen and holy children will descend from the high heavens and their seed will become one with the children of men. In other words, the immortals will live among the mortals for that thousand year reign of Christ. For him to say this so early in the history of the human race is just remarkable to me. Now Enoch is in heaven and sees the sun and the moon and the stars and the constellations. And he asks a fascinating question here. Is the gospel written in the stars? J.R. Church unpacked this for us in this classic series. I want you to notice in verse 8, Enoch says, Here I desired to dwell, and my soul longed for this place. I can just imagine that Enoch walked up and down the streets and he saw the mansions where the saints lived. And I can just imagine Enoch saying, oh, I'd love to live here. And chapter 41, we come to these verses. He says in verse 1, after this, I saw all the secrets of heaven and the kingdom as it is divided and how the deeds of men are weighed upon scales. You know, all the way from the ancient constellation of Libra to the pages of the Bible where Belshazzar is told that weighed in the balances and are found wanting. We have this same concept. The idea of judgment and these scales come to us all the way from the days of Enoch in the first millennium. Then he says he saw the secrets of the lightning and the thunder the secrets of the cloud and the dew of hail and fog and clouds. And he says, I saw the repositories of the sun and moon. What he's saying here is that lightning and thunder and weather are caused by the sun and the moon. How do you know that? In chapter 43, we have this statement. He said to me, the Lord of the spirits has showed thee a picture of them. Up here in verse 2, it says they were weighed in the scales of justice according to their light, according to the width of their places, the day of their appearance and their courses. And in verse 1, he says, I saw the lightning and the stars of heaven. And I called them all by their names. Now, basically what he's saying here is there are constellations out there that God laid out mm -hmm. to tell the story of the age of grace. He's saying that Virgo is the virgin that brings forth the Son of God, and Libra is the scales of justice, and Scorpio, the scorpion, once portrayed as a serpent, shows the battle between Christ and Satan. And Sagittarius, Christ is the archer, aims at the heart of Scorpio. As we wind our time in the book of Enoch to a close, J.R. Church says that Enoch reveals the Messiah. Let's listen to this important section out of the book of Enoch. I want you to notice that of all of the things that we have studied in the past, his walking with angels, his trip in a um, celestial vehicle, here Enoch is describing the Messiah, his person, his pre-existence, his coming to establish the messianic kingdom. This is a fascinating read. 
chapter 45. This is the second parable concerning those who deny the name of the dwelling place of the holy. That's heaven. Well, Enoch lets us know early on. Adam is 686 years old when Enoch begins to walk with God. And so he is describing these in the days of Enoch's last 240 years that Adam lived. And he's saying that there is a heaven. There is an eternal existence apart from our time-space continuum. And he says that the sinners deny this. He says they will not ascend to heaven and will not come on the earth. Such will be the portion of the sinners who deny the name of the Lord of the spirits and who are thus preserved to the day of suffering. And so in verse 3 he says, On that day the chosen one, oh, there is a chosen one. This is the Messiah. He says, the chosen one will sit upon the throne of glory and will choose among their deeds in places without number and their spirit will become strong. That's the spirit of the saints will become strong in them when they see my chosen one and those who have called upon my holy and glorious name. That's how you get saved. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And it goes on to say, in that day I will cause my chosen one, the Messiah, to dwell among them, the saints, and will transform heaven and make it a blessing and a light eternally. And I will transform the earth and make it a blessing and will cause my chosen ones to dwell thereon. And those who have committed sins and crimes will not step on it. For I have seen and satisfied with peace my just ones and have placed them before me. But for the sinners there awaits before me a judgment that I may destroy them from the face of the earth. What we have here in this second parable is the theme of judgment upon unbelievers and blessing upon the saints, his chosen ones and his just ones. He uses the term chosen referring to the Jewish nation. Of course, over in the New Testament, the term just is used for the saints, those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the two groups, the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints here, the chosen and the just. Now you notice he says he transforms the earth. Now can you imagine what the earth's going to look like after Armageddon? After the nuclear wars and the destruction, the ecology mm -hmm. and what have you? The battle of Armageddon will leave every mountain leveled. Islands disappear. Cities, every wall will fall. It'll be nothing but a planet of rubble. But he's going to transform it and make a messianic kingdom. You know, utopia at last is coming to this planet when the saints return with the Messiah. J.R. Church was always fascinated by the mysterious book of Enoch, but frustrated that so little research had been done on it. He wanted to compare the writing of Enoch to the Bible and see whether or not they matched up with Scripture. He searched in vain for a usable commentary before finally reaching a point where he decided to write his own. The results of his curiosity and his advanced understanding of the Bible, science, archaeology, and history resulted in the amazing book and DVD series entitled Enoch, the first book ever written. Ascribed to Enoch, the great-grandfather of Noah, the prophecies of the book reach all the way to the latter days and the tribulation period. No doubt, the book of Enoch is the stuff of legend brought back from the days of old. Today, you can have J.R. Church's extensive teaching on the book of Enoch. We have J.R. Church's book, Enoch, the first book ever written, his teaching DVD series of the same name, and his complete audio teaching 
on CD. All three resources are available today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order this collection at our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.